Hey folks, it's Jared. Today I'm joined by Ascomares Chiara Pavisi, and we'll be discussing her contribution to the 2021 yearbook on the Law of the Sea on judicial response to the silence of Unclaws. This episode was edited and produced by Alexia Bulagi. Simsec, we believe victory in the maritime domain starts with great ideas communicated compellingly. Write, fight, win. Please help us continue to fulfill our mission by donating and making Simsec your preferred nonprofit on Amazon Smile. I'd like to pause here to highlight our local chapters, whether you're in South Korea, Egypt, Singapore, France, New York, India, or the Caribbean. Chances are there's a Simsec local chapter near you. You can find a full listing of local chapters and contact information on the website at simsec.org. So if you're interested, please reach out and get involved. Finally, I want to take the opportunity to recommend our partners in the Simsec Podcast Network, the Bilge Pumps. You can find Alex, Jamie, Drack, and a pot of iron brew bottles wherever you download your podcasts. And with that, Kimber's men. You're listening to Sea Control, hosted by the Center for International Maritime Security. Aloha, shipmates, and welcome aboard Sea Control. My guest today is Chiara Pavese, and we're going to be discussing her contribution to Ascomari's 2021 yearbook on the Law of the Sea, Volume 1, entitled Protecting Non-State Actors' Interests at Sea, Judicial Responses to the Silence of Unclaws. So, Kiara, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Sea Control. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about your background, as well as, if you don't mind, telling us a little bit more about Ascomare, please? Of course. Good morning. Thank you for this great opportunity. I am Chiara. I'm currently a research assistant and project coordinator for Ascomare. Ascomare is a law of the sea think tank established in 2018 to promote the study and uniform application of the law of the sea. We have different projects, among them we have the Ascomar yearbook on the law of the sea, where my first article with Marianti Papa was uh, published. For what concerns my background, in uh, 2019, I took my first degree in law at Università Cattolica del Sacro Cuore di Milano. Subsequently, in 2020, I graduated the University of Nottingham with an LLM in international law. In 2021, I was an intern for the legal office of the International Tribunal of the Law of the Sea in Hamburg, and since my LLM in Nottingham, I have to admit that I've developed a deep interest in international law of the sea, with a particular focus on the protection of the human rights at sea, the use of force, and maritime security. Well, thank you. And as a reminder to the listeners, all opinions are our own and not reflective of any of the institutions with which we might be otherwise associated. So you were very careful to lay out in your introduction that UNCLOS dealt with matters critical for the law of the sea at the time of its making. But what major changes have we observed in the 40 years since UNCLOS was ratified? Of course, the starting point of the analysis of the international law of the sea is always UNCLOS. UNCLOS generally identifies the constitution of the sea. The convention is considered the most relevant legal instrument and comprehensive treaty which regulates the sea and its activities. We must say that the convention was born following change to the international order in society alongside technological developments regarding the use of the sea. The change of uh, international community alongside interests of state to control offshore natural resources have strongly influenced the formulation of the convention. As you asserted, UNCLOS dealt with matters which were critical for the law of the sea at the time of its making and concerned mainly the acts and interests of states, for example, coastal states, landlocked states, geographically disadvantaged states, fishing states, archipelago states in the ocean. However, a series of different aspects have arisen since then, which are not addressed in UNCLOS. One of them is the presence of non-state actors at the sea and the challenge that they face from the state's act. As discussed in our article, which is actually the main point of our investigation, 
is the presence of non-state actors at sea, which has increased to unprecedented levels in the last years. Private actors now use the ocean for advanced economic activity, but also we must say that the sea has been the scenario for important uh, an important phenomenon of migration, for example, irregular migration, as well as act of piracy. And in the light of this matter, our act is actually aimed to consider the efficacy of UNCLOS in relation to non-state actors and to actually understand how the convention protects the interest at sea. How are you defining non-state actors for the purposes of this paper? Uh, me and Dr. Papa identify non-state actors as uh, non-sovereign entities. It is clear that the category of non-state actors, I must say, is vast. When we talk about non-state actors, we refer to, for example, individuals, which can be migrants, can be pirates, terrorist group, which has been the object of a great investigation in the last years. But also, when we talk about non-state actors, it's also private actors. We just think about private corporation which are involved, as I said before, in the use of ocean for economic activities. We can't deny the prominent role played by, for example, by uh, private shipping companies, private companies in the context of the use of the sea as the international trade. When we talk about non-state actors, we must say that they have been uh, facing different kinds of challenges, which actually range from uh, uh, physical to economical and legal challenges. In our article, we have uh, considered di three different types of categories, which are, for example, migrants, pirates, and uh, private uh, corporations. We just think about, for example, the phenomenon of migration. Consider the Mediterranean area, Mediterranean region, where hundreds of thousands of migrants have used the sea to move from the Middle East of North Africa to the coast of European countries. In several occasions, these trips have seen the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, which were the result of, for example, incident on board or the lack of rescue operation at sea, or also the unfortunately deliberate decision of, of coastal state to deny the access of migrants to national ports. As well as uh, we can also think, for example, of piracy. Piracy constitutes one of the main threats to maritime security. Piracy has affected the, the international trade and also the transport of people in uh, basically all the world. Several ships have been attacked by pirates through the use of force. Pirates have been, uh, in several occasions, heavily armed and were organized. And of course, these aspects have affected, for example, the security and safety of the seafarers, as well as the commerce, which have, of course determined the necessity to ensure the security of the seafarers and cargo ships through, for example, the action of states, private organization and association, which actually also determined an increased law, uh, law enforcement operation. However, in some occasions, the use of force against piracy has been also characterized by an excessive use of force, which determine also by important violation of uh, human rights. And in the end, another category that I think that is particularly important to consider is, of course, the one of uh, uh, private companies. Private companies uh, have been uh, employed in uh, conducted operations in all over the world and employed thousands of people. And uh, uh, despite it, they are characterized by several risks, which is actually range from physical risk, for example, caused by the characteristic of the sea, so the marine environment, to economic caused, for example, by this uncertainty of the oil discoveries or fish uh, in the area that will be object of uh, 
operation or political and legal aspect, for example, the possible uh, treat of attacks against private actors by states. So I must say that the importance of non-state actors is clear. They actually play a prominent role in the, the use of the sea, but they also have been facing several kinds of treat. So how are the non-state actors dealt with in accordance with UNCLOS today? And if you don't mind bringing it down by the, you refer to migration, piracy, and private companies, but if there's anything else you want to throw in there, please go ahead. I must say that uh, regarding to this question, as my mentor, Dr. Papa, with uh, the other author of um, the article, as discussed on her former articles, non-state access seems to be kind of invisible to UNCLOS in terms of uh, um, as we uh, introduce it in our article, Article 1 of the Convention, uh, which uh, I find the terms uh, used in the Convention, does not identify any kind of definition of non-state actors. Non-state actors are not formally defined into, uh, in, in UNCLOS. And despite the lack of definition, non-state actors are actually mentioned in certain provisions of, uh, of UNCLOS. But the element that we actually underline is that despite their mention it, there is nothing in terms of, there is no particular reference to the status of these actors. I found particularly interesting, for example, Article 105, which is actually, of course, uh, uh, refers to the fact that the states may size a pirate ship or aircraft and arrest a person who commit piracy acts. But there is no reference to the person who commit actually the Paris Act in terms of there is no reference to their rights, their duties, the procedural capacity of these non-state actors. And uh, also another aspect that I found uh, particularly interesting is that to some extent, it seems that the non-state actors are just um, an extension of the flag states. We found particularly interesting to see how there is a recognition recognition of the non-state acts in terms that are mentioned but is silent on their rights, on their duties, on their procedural capacity, which is the main object of our investigation. And uh, this is the main problem in terms of uh, the conclusion that we arrive that the non-state actors are not effectively regulated in UNCLOS. They are invisible in the eyes of UNCLOS and or are just uh, treated as an extension of the flag state. So if the non-state actors aren't addressed via UNCLOS, what case law exists regarding non-state actors? For what concerns the case law, uh, me and uh, Dr. Papa, we have analyzed different cases of the international jurisprudence. Dr. Papa actually analyzed cases involving uh, private rights, and I decided to analyze cases concerning forcible access towards non-state actors. And in relation to this this letter, the status of these, uh, cause, these, these cases brought to light important uh, um, information, important aspects uh, that uh, underline the position of non-state actors in the context of international law of the sea. First of all, the fact that uh, a claim can actually be initiated by a state. So in case we have a violation or unlawful use of force, uh, is also is just the state which actually can start uh, the claim in front of an international tribunal. And it's clear that in this case, to some extent, uh, this, the interest of the non-state actors is left to the discretion of the state, which so it, it means that there is not a proper protection of 
right, not right, and just not just rights, but also the interest of the non-state actors. And also, this element has underlined what we actually say before that the, the non-state actors are an mere extension of states. And of course, uh, in order to actuate and obtain a proper protection of non-state rights, non-state actors, it is clear that we we need to. to to provide certainty to this category in terms of protection of the rights in front of an international tribunal. And of course, it creates inconsistency among the different disciplines of international law. Then sort of a final question for you is, how could UNCLOS be amended or improved to better protect the non-state actors? Well, uh, me and uh, Dr. Papa, we suggested that uh, a starting point in terms of uh, development for what concerns international law of the sea in relation to non-state actors, it might be, for example, the definition of non-state actors uh, in the convention. And uh, it's interesting how uh, Dr. Papa underlined that it might be uh, on the map of the legislation of the sea. And of course, another aspect which can be an ambition in terms of can actually determine an improvement and uh, for what concerns the protection of non-state actors, it might be the definition of provision or even a section of the convention. We actually establish the rights, duties, procedural capacity of non-state actors in the context of international relations, which actually will determine a um, sort of certainty uh, in terms of uh, to non-state actors and uh, uh, actually uh, protection for what concerns the challenges at the sea that they can actually face. So uh, without, and I'm going to ask you an unscripted question here, um, so feel free to push back if you can't answer it or don't want to answer it, but how difficult is it to amend UNCLOS in the way that you've described? Is it a relatively straightforward process with a set of committees, or does it require a lot, 200 countries signing off on an amendment? I must say that, of course, uh, our suggestion will be particularly ambitious in terms of uh, it is clear that the convention will need uh, the consent of the states and it will actually determine, you know, quite a big change in uh, in the convention, but actually will be particularly difficult in terms of there will be the concept of the states and also imagine that we have to actually obtain the consent of all the states party of the convention, which is actually is not easy. We just think about the time that was necessary for the third one. It, it, it will be ambitious and will be probably necessary, but it will be particularly difficult. I'm sorry, that's all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank my guest, Chiara Pabesi. Uh, Chiara, where can we find you online and what are you working on next? Um, we'll continue to work with uh, Ascomare as a project coordinator. I'm actually working on the second book of our yearbook. And uh, you can actually find me on my email and also on Twitter. Well, thank you again for joining us. To the listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.